to ESP Tipcast 109, where we're going to be catching up on some of the latest research. However, I want to remind you folks that great nutrition doesn't have to cost a lot of money and it doesn't have to taste bad, which I guess would not make it very good nutrition. That's why I like to use Honey Stinger products. Uh, I've been working with Honey Stinger since 2003. Uh, their product lineup is absolutely awesome. Uh, I love working with the company. I love all the people at the company. Um, but really, I love their product. Uh, they've got a whole range of choices for you if you're a gel person. They've got both honey-based gels and the actual honey gels. If you're somebody who likes the chomps or the chews or whatever you want to call them, um, their chew lineup is absolutely phenomenal. Um, a whole range of flavors. If you like more solid food, you've got your waffles. The original waffle, by the way, uh, not a knockoff and still tastes great. And they have their bars. Okay, and so I've been using their energy bar for again, since probably 2004, um, and I love the bars, but they also have new snack bars, which are slightly lower in carbohydrates, great for on-the-go, quick snacks. Uh, to learn more, head on over to www.honeystinger.com. Hey, gang, so here we are, Tipcast 109. Tour de France has wound down. Chris Froome, not surprising was the big winner. However, uh, there were a lot of surprises. And again, I really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the Tour de France. I, I think everybody knows what happened. Uh, they know all the stories behind Tour de France. Um, we all know that Peter Sagan got screwed royally by the jury. Um, if you don't think he did, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you, you might have not watched the video. But Either case, uh, I really want to take a step back and talk about a lot of research that came out during the Tour de France. And there were a couple studies that, that I, th I think kind of relate directly to, to uh, the riders of the Tour. And then there were a couple other studies that were not related. Uh, but rather than talk individually about studies, what I want to do is offer you up a tip cast on really helping you to decipher what is good research, what's bad research, and really uh, the middle ground, which is what gets to be the most confusing, is kind of the conclusions that are garnered from research, either by the media or occasionally by the authors. Uh, so with that, I want to offer you some tips on what to look for, and then I'm going to pull from some of the studies that were uh, released during the Tour de France. Now, we all know that that a lot of the performance-based research that comes out now is really trying to tweak performance. We talk a lot about, uh, you know, periodization of nutrition, and, and we've got low-carb, we've got high-carb, uh, you know, and we're talking about uh, sleep low, train low, and if you're not familiar with those terms, you can check out some of my previous tip casts. Uh, but essentially, train low means that you're going to go out and train fasted. And sleep low means that you're going to train really hard, deplete your glycogen stores or your carbohydrate stores, and then go to bed without replenishing them, get up and train again the next day. Um, 
so so that's kind of one study that 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 came out and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute but the other study that really hit the news was picked up by a lot of media uh, is picked up by Vel News and actually talked about Vel News and and I I'm going to mention that in particular uh, but there was a study released on EPO and and what the authors did is that they took a group of cyclists okay and they and they called them um, can't remember if they called them elite or, or sub-elite, but they basically said that these were well-trained cyclists. And what they did is that they gave one group a placebo, okay, and the other group got EPO. And they trained for about four weeks, uh, either getting the placebo or the drug. Again, uh, the way a placebo works is that you think you're getting the drug, but you're really not. And so what they found is that in real world performance, in this case, they did a time trial up Mont Ventoux, okay, the famous climb from the Tour de France, and they found that the EPO riders didn't actually perform any better than the non-EPO riders, okay? And so that kind of led some, of the, some in the media to say that, oh, aha, you know, EPO, really not that effective. Or some people even went as far as to say, hey, maybe Lance Armstrong and the rest of the crew, they really didn't benefit. And may, 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 maybe they still won fairly, so to speak. Uh, however, the devil are in the details. And when we're looking at research like this, it can get pretty complicated, especially if you're not familiar with how research works. So with that, I'm going to give you some quick tips here. And really tip number one is if somebody is talking about research or they're talking about a study, you want to know, was that study actually published? Okay. And this one gets tricky. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a, a specific case in point. I'm not going to name the product, um, but there is a a pro cycling team in the U.S., the Rally Pro Cycling Team, okay? So I'll make it a little e e easier on you folks to be able to figure out which product I'm talking about. But they use a cream on their legs that supposedly buffers lactate, okay? And I can think of really no plausible reason why this cream should work, but they have cited research that shows that it works. And I said, well, you know, where, where, where's the research published, so on and so forth. And they said, well, it hasn't been published. But there's, there's a really good researcher that did it. And he's, he's done really good research and has a really good lab. And it's like, really, 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 uh, I, I really think you're full of shit. Um, but in reality, all they were talking about is what's called a white paper. And white papers are common um, in the energy industry, and I know this because my wife kind of works in that segment of the population. Um, but white papers are kind of these these things that draw on data. It might be published, or it might be um, you know some industry data or whatever it is, and then they draw conclusions from it. Okay, and that can work in some segments, um, but it doesn't work for human performance. Honestly, if uh, if if you're talking about a drug study, uh, an exercise intervention, a supplement, uh, we, we, it's just really what this falls into. If it is not published in a peer-reviewed journal, and yes, I'm sure there are people out there saying, ah, you know, but peer review, it's full of problems. There are problems in peer review, but uh, I can tell you that peer review is still the best system that we have, okay? Better peer review than no review, you know? So um, with that... If it's not in a peer-reviewed journal, I would be very, very skeptical unless 
it's actually supporting what has already been published. Okay, and you can say, oh, yeah, you know, that's already been shown. But be very careful if it's not published. Uh, you also want to ask who the subjects are. And, 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 and do those subjects represent you? Okay, if you're trying to decide to use a product or a training program, is that subject pool representative of you? Um, and if they're not, can you actually draw conclusions um, based on that subject pool? Because you can't always. So um, were they elite athletes? Were they super elite? Were they just well-trained? Uh, you know, a super elite would be Tour de France rider or, you know, you're going to break the marathon, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the world record for the marathon. Those are super elite. And then elite is, you know, if you're a cyclist, cat one, you know, maybe a domestic pro. Um, it, or are they a special population, meaning they have some kind of a, a handicap, they might be paralyzed or they might have some kind of disease. Um, and then well-trained, that's just maybe your typical cat three. You know, they train a lot, they're really fit, but they're not elite. Um, so do the subjects represent, uh, you know, you or can they actually represent a population that would be able to be applicable, okay? Clearly, if if, say, we had a cardiac rehab population, they've had heart attacks and bypass surgery, and, you know, you know there's a published paper that shows that some kind of training works for them, I don't know if that's going to really apply to an elite cyclist. So you, you kind of get what I'm, I'm, I'm talking about here. And then are they accurately portrayed? So this is another one, and I'll talk about this with the, the uh, 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 one, one of the latest studies on carbohydrate um, use and in and periodizing it, but in, in this study, they called these athletes elite, but they really weren't elite, and, and, and again, I'll get more into that. Um, number three, uh, are they testing absolute changes in performance? Are they testing relative changes? Um, are they comparing the amount of change that occurs in each test group, pre and post, uh, I think in general, you want a pre-test. You want everybody to have this baseline test. And then you want a post-test under the same conditions, okay? And then we can say, okay, well, group one got the placebo. They improved 1%. In other words, they didn't really improve. And then group two, they got whatever training or drug or whatever it is, and they improved 8%. Well, they actually improved, okay? So that's really important. You want to look at what type of testing they did uh, pre and post, and, and what type of changes are they looking at? And we really want to see a, a positive change um, for everybody or just about everybody. Um, number four, do the lab and field performance tests match up? Okay, so, so I say field or performance. Um, that might be in the lab or it might be on the road, but in general, there's a performance test. That is different from a lab test that looks more at the specific physiological measurements like VO2 max or lactate threshold, okay? If these are higher, they would indicate a greater potential for performance. And the higher those are, the more likely you are to have a good result. Um, but how do these numbers match up with a representative test like an actual time trial test? Could be in the lab or it could be on the road, but we, we wanna know, did they do a performance test? Okay, because oftentimes lab tests and performance tests um, might not really match up, particularly if you're looking just at VO2 max. You know, high VO2 max doesn't necessarily translate into better time trial performance. 
number five, okay, uh, and this really relates to both uh, the first three um, there, does the performance test actually make sense, okay, and I'm going to get more into this in a minute, but let's say that you are, um, you know, testing ultra marathon runners, that they only, they only run 100-mile races, but your lab test is a 5K. Does that really make sense? Okay, a 5K is so far divergent from what they actually do um, in race conditions. I don't know if we can really draw conclusions. It depends on the conclusion we're drawing. But, but you re really want to you know, see if that makes sense. And, and I think one of the examples I give you will kind of clarify this. Um, and then, you, you know, uh, six, look at uh, whether or not uh, this treatment or supplement could or would change the expected performance, okay? Um, you know, sometimes we don't expect it. And I'll, I'll give you a, a very good example recently came up is training using just nose breathing, okay? You tape your mouth shut and you do, you know, your high-intensity training with just your nose and the claims are you get better training benefits. There's no physiological mechanism really that would explain why that would work, okay? And so, um, if somebody's claiming changes, we want to make sure that, you know, they have the research to back that up and they're not just kind of blowing smoke. Uh, and then finally, do the conclusions jive with results? The, this is where authors, and I'd say more often the media, get into trouble because when you actually go and read the paper, and I'm not talking the abstract, you read the paper, you read the results, and then you look at their conclusions, you're like, hmm. Their conclusions don't make any sense, okay? They can't draw those conclusions based on the results that they presented here, all right? So what I want to do is just quickly give you uh, a couple examples here of, uh, of how this works out. And the first one comes from uh, an EPO study that was published. And, and again, uh, I'll put up the link on uh, the podcast page and on my website. Um, but, but it is floating around out there. And in fact, if you go to velonews.com, not the plug velonews, but, uh, you can actually find this article there. They link to it. Um, and, and I will say that, that, that right off the top, this study took some big hits in the media. Uh, it also had a lot of positive hits, I guess, so, so to speak. Um, but most notably from velonews contributor, Trevor Connor, who's a coach, he's, he's part of the, the, the fast talk podcast. Um, he, he, he really came down hard on this study, and, and I, I, however, reached out to a couple researchers, kind of got their, their thoughts and opinions, and I do want to give credit um, particularly to Conrad Ernest, who uh, is a leading researcher, done a lot of great cycling research in elite cyclists, spent some time in Spain. Um, but in either case, I, I talked to him, and, and uh, he had given me some good insights as well, but really the design of this study was pretty solid. There, there aren't any major flaws. Um, as noted by many, however, uh, the study population is not at all re uh, 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 indicative of an elite cycling population. So, um, you know, drawing conclusions with EPO, uh, you, you know, notorious riders of the EPO era like Armstrong is really a waste of time. Okay, at best, these are cat three fours. All right, so we can't draw that conclusion. Um, 
Another troubling problem with this study is their performance measure. Uh, mo most notably, they use MomVen2, which is very ambitious, I have to say. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool to use that climb. But really the problem is, is that they picked one of the hardest climbs in cycling, and then before that climb, they did a 100-kilometer ride okay, with cat three, four riders, and then some, some riders didn't actually finish the climb, all right? Um, and, and, and what they found is that the EPO riders didn't do any better than the non-EPO riders. And it's like, well, hey, wait a second, why is that? But the lab data would indicate improved performance, particularly the, the threshold data indicated an improvement in performance. And so, re you know, realistically, they introduced a huge confounding variable in the fact that these riders were really pre-fatigued, whereas a Pro Tour rider could ride 100 kilometers and hit Ven2 and still probably have a max effort up it, you know, a PR. So we want to be careful of that. And what they could have done is just simply done the Ven2, okay? And they didn't do a pre and post, all right? They just had post data, and it was an absolute uh, test, Okay, so they weren't looking at changes, they were looking at absolute performance, and there's a lot of variability in there. Okay, so those are two, two big problems, I think, with the study. They're not study killers. I think the biggest issue with this study are the conclusions. Um, and the biggest problem is not only did the media, but also the authors tried to actually claim that EPO didn't work. And that is in direct opposition to other research papers that have been published in this area. And I don't think it's, it's fair to draw those conclusions. Um, but the nice thing is they had all their data there. You can look at the data and you can kind of draw your own conclusions. Uh, and then real quick, a second study that uh, you know, came up looked at periodizing um, carbohydrate restriction okay, in elite endurance athletes again. And what they did is they compared this carbohydrate restriction with a high carbohydrate diet. And, and what they found is that the carbohydrate restriction uh, didn't have any impact on performance. And this seems to be counter to a number of studies that have been published. Uh, however, as many people, okay, in the forums noted, there are really two key criticisms here. One, despite the author stating that these were elite athletes, their VO2 max is well under what is considered elite. Um, is, and it's really indicative of highly trained cyclists. And I know this because I've done a lot of studies with highly trained cyclists, and that's um, a group that has an average VO2 max of under 70. Okay, it's, it's pushing that 70, and really that 70 is kind of, you know, the threshold where, where you start to get to elite level. Uh, and in this case, the study, it was about 65. Highly trained, okay, that's, that is a high VO2 max, but it's not elite, okay? And then, you know, the other thing that came up, and, and really this is really the kind of speculation, um, is the fact that super elite athletes may not actually benefit that much from carbohydrate uh, uh, uh uh, restricted diets, kind of those training low or sleep low diets, because by nature they're already carbohydrate depleted most of the time because their training loads are super high. If you look at an elite triathlete or you look at an elite cyclist, they are training 30 to 40 hours a week, okay? I don't know about you guys, but even at my best, my very best peak training period in my life, uh, I, I, ne I never got above 25 hours, 
okay? And it usually hovered around 20. Now, now, now these were sub-elite, um, and they were still training a lot, so, so the fact that they actually didn't see a change, it might actually be that that threshold is even lower. You know, may, may, maybe it's chronically training 15 hours a week. We don't know, but if you're training a lot, it could be that your ability to get that marginal gain from carbohydrate restriction is a lot lower. So in short, periodized carbohydrate restriction does actually appear to be beneficial. I think that that's what most of the research shows, but what we do see is that performance improvements are small, okay? These are marginal gains, um, and really, uh, the research indicates that it only takes a short period of time to really gain the benefits, maybe two or three weeks of a train-low, sleep-low regimen. What that means is that you can have a very high training load all the time, be eating a high-carbohydrate diet, maybe two or three weeks out from, you know, your major part of the season, you reduce your training load now, um, but you might maybe just 10 days out or two weeks out, you might restrict carbohydrates and still gain some benefit, okay? So, so we, we can kind of tweak performance that way. Hey, folks, that's it for TipCast 109. I know that was a little bit long, but I did want to cover a bunch of things in the media. Uh, if you'd learn, like to learn more about this topic, please drop me an email at esppodcast at gmail.com. I'll answer your questions there. Uh, and be on the lookout. I'm going to be heading back over to the blog probably putting together uh, a couple blog posts here coming up. I uh, got my school year starting up, got a new job, got a new school, so I'm really excited about that. Um, but it's also going to mean that we're getting back into research uh, in the lab as well. But uh, we're, we're going to stay apprised of what's going on, and we will be looking at some new podcasts coming up. Uh, until then, you can head on over to www.espanswers.com dot com there you can donate uh just hit the donate button and donate five ten twenty dollars and i would really very much appreciate that remember folks if you're not thinking ahead you're falling behind later Later.